Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the MMA Origin Stories podcast. I'm joined today by a man who's been involved in every level of this sport that we love. He's refereed first-timers on the amateur scene and UFC world title fights. With almost 30 years under his belt in combat sports, it is my pleasure to bring you Mr. Leon Roberts. Leon, thank you very much for joining me, my buddy. How are you doing? Evening, Michael. Uh, I'm very good, mate. Uh, presently recovering from from surgery, so you've, you've caught me. You've caught me at a time where I'm I'm sat on my backside, being rather bored. So this is a nice break from the norm, mate. And and how's the? Uh, I know, mate. We're diving straight into to, to nowadays time. So how has the recovery been from the surgery? Because it was your shoulder, wasn't it? No, it was tricep. I um I ruptured oh. my tricep um, refereeing uh, cage wars just before Christmas. Oh, wow. Um, so because of COVID, it took me 10 weeks to get the surgery. Um, surgery was postponed twice, then cancelled once, just as I was being wheeled down to theatre. Um, so cut a long story short, I had the surgery done a month ago, three weeks in a cast. I'm out of the cast now in a brace, and the brace will be for 12 weeks. Oh, wow. So um, uh, currently, on the first time in 20 years, I'm under 18 stone. And I look like the spaghetti man. I'm just, I'm just disappearing. So, you know. it's I'm, I'm not vain, mate. But I tell you what, I've, I've dropped, I've dropped a couple of dress sizes, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> a size eighteen now, are you? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Leon, let's let's try and take it back one or two years. From, uh, from modern day, obviously, your last event at Cage Warriors um, uh, with me there at the double header in December. Let's take it back a couple of years. So for you, Leon, where, where did it all begin for you as far as, um, as far as an inspiration towards some form of combat sport or martial art or, or, or even inspiration as a youngster? Where, where, did it, where did it all begin as far as your, your, your life and times in fitness, I suppose, more than anything else? Uh, do you know what? As a child, um, well, as a child, young person, I believe it or not, I swam for the county. Thinking of me in a pair of speedos, Michael, is not a good look. Um, but, I, you know, I, I used to swim for the county. I played football. I played rugby. And at the age of 14, I had a cycling accident. Um, a motorbike came around the wrong side of the road, threw me off my handlebars, and I landed on the, ba- on the base of my spine on a curb. Oh, wow. I twisted my spine and was told that I could never do combat sports again. So I, I stopped playing rugby, basically. And uh, rugby is what I wanted to do. I either join yeah. the army or be a professional rugby player. 
yeah, yeah. Um, and and especially where you're from as well, Leon. Rugby is a big sport where you guys are as oh, well. It's massive, it? it's, absolutely yeah. massive, absolutely massive. I've always been a bit of a, a bit of a lump, so rugby suited me. Um, so because I couldn't do any con- contact sports, um, I'd never done any tr- traditional martial arts whatsoever, none yeah. at all. And I took up weight training, and I took mm-hmm. up weight training um, primarily um, because I was getting bullied. Bullet about yeah. my size, and I kind of felt that if you're in a castle or if you're in a, you know, you bolster something to give yourself protection. So I thought if I bolster my body, that's going to give me protection. So I got down to the gym, I started pumping iron, you know, and started putting on size, and people look at you differently. Yeah, and it was kind of people assume when you're big, they assume you're tough, they assume you're hard. Yeah, and they assume you can fight, and I was like, well, I don't know if I can. I'll be a pacifist. I don't like violence. And uh, I worked in a video shop. And Mark Weir's wife, who then was his girlfriend, um, worked with me um, in a retail store. And she brought him into the video shop one, one night. And we were talking. And he said, you should come down and have a, have a roll around with me, mate. You should come down and throw a few. And I was like, well, it's Mark Weir. That's, that's an opportunity, right? So yeah, that was back in, I think, 93, 94. And, oh, wow. Uh, I walked to the outskirts of Gloucester City where his dad used to have a convenience store, which he turned, turned into a gym. Opened the door, walked in, and never looked back. Yeah. So and that was almost the 30 other years ago people. now. Yeah. yeah. It, wow. Yeah. That's uh, well, to all my listeners, buckle up, get yourself nice and comfortable. We're, uh, we're, we're in for the ride now. If we've, if we've got the best part of 28 years to go to, to speak about, but, um, and, and before we get going, Leon, before we carry on past what, um, what like starting off with, with Mark, Weir, I've got, um, I've been told by the general that, that I've got to give you your, your pre, your pre uh, event pep talk. So the general has, has told me what to tell you for your pre, pre-event pep talk. So this has come directly from Mark. And he said, if I don't say this to you, I'm never working on another event in the UK again. So all he said now is, get it together, you big fuck. Let it flow. <laughs> oh, my, Michael, um, to, I, I bet he didn't believe you that I was actually doing this because I don't, I don't do this. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did an interview with Nick Pete for Fighters Only in 2012 regarding cancer. Yeah, and I did a little extract um, when we did the Arnold Classic for Emma, which you Emma, which you were there. Yeah. Apart from that, I don't speak to the media. I don't do podcasts. So this is a first for me. And uh, yeah, Mark would have to give me one of his little pep talks to get me going because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not comfortable. I'm not comfortable talking like this. So, so yeah. <laughs> But that's, that's that's what we funny. was we were sitting cage side Saturday night, and he said to me, "I said uh, any advice you can give me about like with Leon because he's he's explained to me that he, he doesn't do this sort of thing." He laughed, and it and then that rolled off of his tongue, and then he turned to me yeah. in the in the way that only Mark can do, and said to me, "If you don't fucking tell him that, you're never working with me again." And I was like. I, d- I don't want to call his bluff. I don't want to call his bluff, Leon. So I'm afraid I've had to. I've had to drop it in right at the start. So, and I'm sure. I'm sure that gentleman's name is going to come up several times in this conversation. So that that that's that's quite integral that he's picked it off, as it were. 
<laughs> so Leon, let's 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 remove Mark from the conversation at the minute because obviously we're talking about a different Mark now. We're talking about Mark Weir. So Mark Weir, you've gone yep. in. It's the end of 93, 94 sort of time. Um, you, you've gone into the gym uh, in, in Mark's dad's convenience store on the outskirts of Gloucester. And um, yep. so, so that's where the journey began for you in, in martial arts as a whole. So we're not even talking about MMA yet, or, we, or maybe we are, but as, as martial arts as a whole, that's where it all started yep. for you. Yeah, that's exactly where it started. And if you can imagine it, you've got, you've got what used to be a shop front window with all metal bars and a door which has got metal bars on it. You yep. open it up, he locks it, and you're in there. And he calls it the pit. It was called the pit at the time. And my first session... There was me and my friend. My friend was an experienced martial artist who hadn't done anything for a while, so he wanted to he wanted to come. And Mark put a pair of gloves on, got us warmed up. And he stood in front of me and went, right, hit me in the face as hard as you can. And I looked at him and I was like, what? He's this very athletic, good-looking man in front of me who said, punch me in the face as hard as you can. Do you think I could hit him? Oh, could I? Uh? <laughs> and he said, there's your first lesson, the importance of a parry, a parry and a counter. And do you know what? It was it was that point where I thought, I walked out of there and I just thought to myself, this is the start of something. I never envisaged I get where I got to. I just thought I was going to go there and learn how to fight and, you know, have, have a bit of a tussle with the boys on a Friday night type thing. I did yeah. never envisage it would go the way it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially for somebody that who, like for you, you've you've, You've just said that you're you're a pacifist, or, or or even back then you was a pacifist. You was you was maybe getting bullied, or maybe not treated the way that you wanted to be treated. So you you gained bulk to to try and put that barrier up, as as a lot of yep. us do. A lot of us big fellas, we 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 gain bulk to fill out our frames, in mm. almost as the, of the bravado. So people they don't want to they don't want to take the chance of messing with you because you're a big lump, and. In that very first instance with Mark, who Mark himself is, is a tall guy. He's a tall guy, but yep. he's, he's he's a very athletic built guy. There's there's Absolutely. at that time I can't imagine there was an ounce of fat on him because when I, when I met him in the probably 2011 2012 ish sort of time, there wasn't any there wasn't an ounce of fat on him then. So I can't imagine 20 years beforehand there would have been any there. Um, so not, not you've a, gone a you've gone as a as a big lump trained you've tried to punch him a few times and you've you've let's be honest failed miserably because he's, he's just, he's just yeah. he's just got out of the way so what was the next step from there then leon what was what was next for you from down the road on 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 the move so obviously starting in the in the stand-up arts with mark um how, how yeah. did that progress for you then bud what 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 kept you going back well it was those who know mark knows that he he brought about his range fighting system now Mark's range fighting system was very much like the, the, the element of range comes from you use every range of your body. Yeah. Okay. So even, even back then we were grappling, you know, yeah. we were doing, we were doing everything. We do, we do sim simulation fights where you put headgear on and do soccer kicks to the face and everything. It was just a, a brutal time where you certainly wouldn't do that now, but back then on a Friday night, Mark would have all the, all the local doormen in. We'd all go down there. I wasn't a doorman at the time, but I used to go in with there, there with the doorman and, we just used to beat each other senseless, which when you reflect back now, it's a bit silly, but it was almost, it wasn't ego stroking. It was just like, let's have it. Let's have it and see what happens. And, mm -hmm. you know, if you can imagine all these big six foot flipping 16, 17, 18 stone doormen 
and I met one of my closest friends there, a guy called Chris Hughes. Um, five foot, if I say he's five foot eight, that's probably being a bit, bit polite to him. He's a small, he's a small guy. <laughs> and I honestly thought somebody had brought their kid down. Yeah. And when I, when I saw him put his gloves on, I thought, what the hell's going on here? And I saw that guy go in and hold his own with these great big lumps. And I was like, that's when I first realized martial arts isn't about the size of the person. And there's an old analogy, isn't there? It's not the size of the dog in a fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Yeah. And I saw that one. And I was like, this guy is, what, 72 kilos? Maybe if that's being generous as well. And he was holding his own with these big lumps. And I was like, wow. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was incredible for me. And, you know, the school started very small and the notoriety just built up and built up and built up. And, you know, people from all walks of life and the school sort of um, grew to the fact where we rented out sports halls. Mark's gym stayed as a private gym for us to go and do fight training with him. Yeah. But we couldn't spar like that in public. So yeah. we would go and do general classes and we do everything from, from weapons to stand up to grappling. And, you know, when you look at, you know, everybody talks about UFC back in the day, right? When I, I mentioned earlier, I worked in video shop. UFC one came on the shelves. I took it home and I was hooked. Yeah. But I wasn't, whenever Hoist Gracie came on, I fast forwarded it. Yeah. I thought, okay. I thought it was rubbish. Yeah. I wanted to watch Coleman and Kerr and Tank Albert and Paul Varlins just stand there going toe to toe. Who could take the most? That's what I was interested in. Yeah. And it was only when Mark showed me an arm triangle choke. He put an arm triangle choke on me down the gym choked me out and I was like what the hell is this and that's where my interest in grappling came about yeah and that's when I started watching more of the grapplers on telly understanding it because back then I was like this is just toe-to-toe who's, who's got the biggest punch so my whole mindset and you know philosophy about martial arts was evolving through training with him and, and that's interesting that you said that as well because when I first started like, I've dabbled in grappling over the years from like the early 2000s. Um, I went to train at at an MMA gym in 2010 and I got put in, we we were doing grappling and I got put in with a kid who, if he was, he probably wasn't, he was probably 18, 19, but he looked about 15. He was tiny. I'd, I'd been powerlifting at the time and I'd been doing lots of weights and I was, I was probably 19 stone of the best shape of my life. And yeah, I got in there and I thought, what's this kid going to do? Oh, my fucking God, Leon. He tied me up in so many different shapes in about two minutes. I come out of it and I was like, I, I've got to carry on with this. I've got to, I've got to yeah. figure out what, if this little sod can do this to me, who's about half my weight, what could somebody who actually knows what they're doing, who's a similar yeah. sort of size to me do? That kid played with me. He played with me and I didn't like it. And, and so it's, 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 it brings back memories for me of you saying exactly the same thing. Um, yep, we've all been yep. as, as a big guy. It's very embarrassing when you get took out by, a, <laughs> when you get tied up like that or by a tiddler who you should be able to, to, to exactly. hold your own with. Exactly. Yeah. Wrapped up like a bag of chips by someone who looks like his son is like, mm. but there's the thing. If you walk away from that, you know, it's not for you. If you go back and you're not, you're not, you're not worried about being humbled. It's not humiliated. You're just being humbled. Yeah. And it allows you to learn. It creates that open-mindedness. Yeah. And that is what MMA is about, isn't it? It's being open-minded to every art and every discipline, pulling it together and seeing what suits you. Yeah. I might not have a flashy kick, but I'm pretty sure if I kicked you in the leg, I'd, I'd drop you. It's not yeah. flashy, but I use what I've got. 
yeah. I'm not flexible, but I'm powerful. That that type of you know thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a as a my old kickboxing coach used used to say to me, um, Mike, it may not be it may not be flashy, it may not be the fastest, but you've got those Samoan kicking legs that will just make anyone not want to come back. And then, there you go, Samoan kicking legs. There you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. It, it would be fashion to like Jonah Lomu running through the England team back in the day. That, that's that's what a leg <laughs> kick off of a off of a big guy who knows how to throw him. That's what a leg that's what a leg kick feels like for anybody. So, yeah. There you go. So yeah, so you've 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 learned now. You've learned now that a head and arm triangle is is effective, and Hoist Gracie was maybe on the right path um, back in yep. the back in the, the early UFC days. <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe he did know what he was doing. Maybe maybe there's a I little think bit. He, I think he probably did. I'll give him that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, how did that? Like, what, what was what was your next phase coming through from there? Then, Leon. So you've watched the the early UFCs from working in a video shop. Um, yep. You've uh, you've you've started training it yourself, Mark has well and truly humbled you in the fact that that not only could you not punch him in the face but he can also choke you out at any given moment so it's yep. it's what <laughs> what was what was next for you then bud how, how did that start how did that keep progressing you through your martial arts and the early days which was well and truly no hold bars this wasn't mma at the time this was in the early days yeah yeah your nhb sort of sort of background in fighting that, that had all the stigma yeah. with it as well absolutely and do you know what we used to, when Mark, Mark had a, um, a policy with um, local promoters, he would fight anybody, any discipline, any weight, just mm-hmm. to prove that his fighting style was unique. And, you know, people can make comparisons to Bruce Lee and what he did, you know, but Mark was never, I'm going to be the next Bruce Lee. He was just, look, this is what I've developed. And to prove it works, I need to go out there and fight different disciplines and different styles, you know? Yeah. Um, so the gym, the gym was growing, the classes were getting bigger. And I think the first, the first legitimate MMA show in this country was Yoram in 1996. And Mark fought a guy called Buster Reeves on that show. Buster okay. Reeves was famous for going on record breakers for doing the most flashy sidekicks and all the rest of it. And they were wearing, I think they were wearing maybe 10-ounce gloves. Big mm-hmm. martial arts with 10-ounce gloves. And Mark was putting a heel hook on him. It was, it was, it was, it was great, you know. And, you know, there was... Um, it was organised by um, uh, Lee Hasdale. Okay. Lee Hasdale. Lee Hasdale was on there, um, who who then went on to do the. I think it was a night night of the Samurai Knights or something in Milton Keynes. Um, so Mark was fighting in that in '96, and he went there, uh, and he, that was the start of his his sort of fighting career. And as this happened, I had a shoulder injury. Mm-hmm. I had to have what's called a capillary shrinkage in my shoulder which meant I had surgery and I was in a sling for nearly 10 months. And this was a point in my life where, you know, I was using MMA to deal with all my demons of being bullied previously. Um, I was involved in something I really was passionate about. So I started going down the club to watch because I wanted to be there. And then I started timing, timing sessions on the stopwatch. And then I started calling out instructions and then I started planning sessions and then I became a coach for Mark. Yeah. So I became his head corner for his UFC fights, his fights in pride, his fights over the world. So again, something I never planned for, something I never thought I'd do, but actually I just fell into it. And, you know, I don't think I was ever going to be a fighter. 
people yeah. people can pretend and say, yeah, I could have been this, I could have been that. I could never have been that. I'll have anybody in the gym behind closed doors. I'll have a pop with anybody. But in front of a live audience, you know, my my, my demons from, from you know, insecurities of being bullied, et cetera, would, would never let me do that. So when you look at, I'll compare it to a watch. Mm-hmm. All those little cogs in a watch make the watch work. If you take one of those cogs out, it's not going to work, right? Yeah. So for me, my purpose was being one of those cogs. So I was basically a coach and a training partner and a punch bag for all the professional fighters that came through the Range Academy. And that mm-hmm. was my niche. That's what that's what, that's what I fitted in. And to, to actually stand in front of 10, 15, 20 people and bark instructions for someone that is a, is a self-confessed introvert was very hard for me to do. Yeah. But perhaps perhaps that was something in the build-up to me going on to referee. Perhaps yeah. that was part of my own journey with MMA that actually allowed me to do that. And, you know, I was never going to be a world-class coach, but I coached and, you know, I took Mark all over the world. We had um, international um, title holders, national title holders, and we had some very, very good names. You know, when you look back, the likes of Matt Ewan, Shane mm-hmm. Mills, Jake Blythe. Like I said to you about Chris Hughes, the little guy from Danny Jim. Yeah. He fought Danny Batten. He fought Danny Batten back in the day and beat him. He fought Ross Ross Pearson back in the day and beat him. Oh wow! So, yeah. So he he was he he was he was a good prospect. So so yeah, I went from being a regular gym user to actually going in there and being a, a key member of a coaching team. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was, that was something I thrived on. It's something I enjoyed a lot. Yeah. And, and I've said yeah, this I'm, before, but I, I'm not saying anything that's, oh, hopefully I'm not saying anything that's out of turning on, but when I was speaking to you previously in, in December, um, not too dissimilar to me, you're, you're the sort of person that is, you're not the person that's going to be at the front of the queue. You're not the person standing there telling someone off or, or or having a pop or being out there but you're 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 like everybody's big brother you're the one that's going to come along and help them out and and you can you can visualize where somebody needs that help and I think that's where you I know I'm moving forward quite a lot now but that's where you as a referee you're in there to to make sure that everybody is safe at all times and that's probably what's come across with your with your coaching right at the start as well you wanted to make sure those guys we're in the best possible position and you were the right person to help organize it, to help get them in shape, to help them get all the pieces in the puzzle together. That was you. You were that, as you say, that cog in that watch, that little cog that's helping everybody stay in, in position and in place. And that's, everybody needs that. Every single gym in the world needs that. And, and for you, that was, that's how you made that, that time in your life that was that was exactly where you needed to be with the people you needed to be with. You could have gone to a different gym ten miles up the road. You you could have been you could have been in in Bristol instead of Gloucester at that time, and it would have never mm-hmm. happened. But you were in the right place at the right time with the right people, and and yeah, they've helped you. They've helped pull you through to 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 that moment in time. And that's that's very um, it's very apt you said that because. You know, <clears throat> when we first started doing this, uh, you know, before we went live, I said to you, it's kind of like a Pandora's box. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to open. <laughs> and, uh, look, I, I, don't, I don't do these type of things because, one, I don't think my my voice is necessarily needed to be heard. There's a lot of officials out there who are quite open and willing and like talking about themselves. 
and there's a lot of officials out there who can talk very very eloquently and pass a lot of information on so that's why i've never really done anything like this but you said about maybe something i could say would help someone that was in a tough position so let me allow myself to be really vulnerable when i say to you that what you just said is very apt because mma saved my life it yeah. kept me here and when i say here here i was going through a very very difficult time in my life um you know i, I explained about the, the bullying as a child and you know what I'm, I'm not different from anybody else lots of children get bullied unfortunately you know i see it i see it a lot and it's one of the if you're asked to ask me the things i hate in life hate is a strong word i hate bullies i cannot stand them i hate them with a passion you know but at that point in my life when i was going through some very very difficult personal challenges the fact that i was needed the fact that i, I people wanted me and relied on me kept me going yeah now that that's me being vulnerable to the core but you know what perhaps there's somebody that might listen to this i mean i'm not i'm not being a martyr but who the hell is going to want to uh, you offer me to do this right i don't see many people want to listen to my story i mean flipping out is boring but if somebody listens to it and they're in that position and they went to a club be it rugby or football or martial arts and it allowed them to see something and feel something then maybe me saying that is worthwhile yeah and mate that's that's a hundred percent what in my experience, 100% what martial arts can do for somebody. And, and it's not all about turning up to the gym and kicking shit out of each other. It's, it's bringing that structure. And, and there's a lot of stigma about a lot of martial arts. I'm not going to go into which martial arts I would suggest you maybe shouldn't do. or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we could probably pull off a good list of, of shows that people should never even, uh, or shows, sorry, shows as well. But um but uh, martial arts that they probably should steer clear of. But whatever martial art you choose to do, from from Tai Chi to Muay Thai, there's going to be something in there that helps you as a person grow. And and for you at that time, mixed martial arts or no hold bars or the range fighting system, that mm -hmm. was what was needed for you at that time to help pull you back together, to help get you back to to if not back to where you needed to be, get you on the right pathway to get you back to where you needed to be, Leon. And, and that's, yep. that's mate, I'm, I'm absolutely, I've got goosebumps here. I'm, I'm really touched that, that you've, that you've, that, that in your first open forum in, in quite a long time that you've, you've put that, I'm having to sit on my hands now. Cause I, I've honestly, that's, that's, that's uh, give me goosebumps, mate. I'm trying to get rid of them. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to, <laughs> but so, <laughs> So with um, with range, with with Mark's career, and and you being that cog in that wheel, and you helping him and helping everybody else in the gym uh, move forward. How? Um, so what really was next? So Mark's had his first fight. He's gone to that show, um, Danny Batten's show. What yes. was what was the next bit on the journey for you guys then, Leon? So basically, um, there was a, a big show that a promoter called Andy Jardine would put on, Millennium Ball. Yep. And they brought some American guys over for Mark. Um, he fought CJ Fernandez, um, Shannon McCann and Rich. They were trying to get Matt Hughes over for him to fight, you know, the legendary Matt Hughes. Mm -hmm. But one of his training partners, Ben Irwood, came over. And Mark destroyed them all. And off the back of that, he was invited to, invited to fight in the UFC. Before so, you go on to the UFC, sorry, Leon, yep. I've got to say, and, and I said this on the, on the on the recording with, might have said it on the recording with Dan. I definitely said it on the recording with Sam that's coming out. My first MMA show that I went to, 
was Millennium Brawl at the High Wycombe Judo Centre 2001. And Mark Weir was maybe second or third from the end. I can't remember exactly what order he was. He was he was yeah. like one of the last three or four fighters. And uh, and I said I said to Dan at the time, the main event was Lee Murray. And that's that's all that's the, my mate Danny Danny Brennan was fighting. He made his debut earlier on in the card, and I only yeah. went because of Danny. But I remember seeing Mark, and I remember seeing Lee, and that's what made that's what inspired me. So, mate, inadvertently, twenty one years ago, we would have been in the same room. How how, how mad is that? So, yeah, <laughs> you, you me paying to be there, and you and you obviously cornering Mark at the time. So, um, so yeah, so sorry. So yeah, so he's had the, the three fights at Millennium Brawl and then obviously, yep. yeah, sorry to yep, interrupt. He got offered, no, that's fine. He got offered to fight in the in EFC, you know, Brawl at the Hall, you know, Royal Albert Hall, um, 2002. Um, but interestingly enough, if I backtrack a couple of months, mm-hmm. April 2002, just before Mark fought there, was my debut as a referee. Ah, uh, wow. Um, okay. So basically, we had a, um, a management company for Mark called XFUK. Mm-hmm. And any, anybody that emails me, my email address is XFUK. I've, I've still got it now. I've never changed it. <laughs> yeah. Um, sometimes people think it's something different to actually what it is. And I have to explain <laughs> it. That's story. You're, trying, you're trying to wind so, me up. Is that, is that what you're trying to do, Leon? <laughs> we <laughs> We we found a promotion XFC one uh, down in Cornwall, and yeah. it was solely to make money to to support Mark, you know, yeah, and to support us traveling. So we put on this show and looking at how we could save money. And Mark and a good friend of mine called Abs, who was um, involved in XFC UK, said, "Leon, would you referee?" I'm like, "Shut up! I'm not refereeing." They're like, "No, oh, come on, you could be UK's John McCarthy." And I'm not. Like, oh, well, just tell a big lump, you think I could be John McCarthy. <laughs> and they both sat me down and said, your knowledge base is such that we wouldn't want anyone else to referee. And I was like, well, you know what's helping the guys out? I like to help people out. So, yeah, let's do it. So, you know, it, XFC1, April 2002, was far ahead of his time. We did it on a, we did it on a, on a disused holiday camp. So every right. fight had their own Sally. You know, every fight had their own individual changing room. We put scaffolding up and, and cloth uh, curtains everywhere. Every fighter had their own warm-up area. It was way ahead of its time. It's phenomenal. We had some great fighters there. And I did that as a one-off. Yeah. Just a one-off. That was it. And basically, um, Charlie Joseph, who used to run Children Free Fighters, which is now run by Paul Southerns, um, said, Leon, I know you just done that show. You wouldn't come and referee Urban Destruction for me in Bristol, would you? He goes, oh. and I was like, oh. I knew Charlie. I went, yeah, go on, and I'll, I'll referee Urban Destruction. So I went to referee Urban Destruction for him, and Andy Gear, who used to run Cage Rage, yeah. was a judge. Right. And he watched me referee, pulled me to one side and said, fancy coming to referee Cage Rage? And I'm like, what, Cage Rage? <laughs> in London, on the telly. Nah, mate, I can't do that. And he's like, I want you to come down and do it. I want you to come to Cage Rage. So I got into Cage Rage. And from Cage Rage, Cage Rage got a lot of views on YouTube. I was contacted by Dave Lewis and Marshall Zelesnik from the UFC. Yeah. Who asked me to go to London to interview to be a UFC referee. Yeah. Which I thought was a complete, I thought it was a complete wind-up thing. 
Yeah. It was only when Goddard rang me up and said, you're getting a call from a guy called Dave Lewis. And because he told me, I thought I was legit. So yeah, they, they invited me to London for an interview. I sat down with them over a board, uh, in, in a boardroom over a table and went over my resume. And they said, right, UFC 89, Birmingham, 2008. You're effing. Wow. Oh, wow. So that was that was me. That's that's me fast tracking. So that's how that's how I got into UFC. So mate, that's that's from 2002. Uh, yep. Just doing it to try and help Mark and help the team, not not just to help Mark, but to help the team with yep. with funds and to to get you guys to the, the training and to get you guys around the world to do whatever you need to do. Mm. It started just as a one-off. And then it's just yep. snowballed in six, let's be honest, six short years. It snowballed from, oh, I'll do it just as a favour for a mate to yep. sitting to, to referee in, uh, at UFC 89 in Birmingham. Wow. Yeah. And do you know what? It's, it's a weird thing, Michael, because everybody's life is mapped out. I, I, I believe that because it helps make, make sense of things I've been through. Yeah. So I guess that was all mapped out. That's the why. That's the reason why I walked into that gym and trained with Mark. That's the reason why I did that first show. That's the reason why I helped Charlie Joseph out. That's the reason I went to Cage Rage and, and Buff. There you go. It was all, I was never going to be a fighter. My destiny in this sport was to be an official. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, that was, yeah, that, that's, that's, my, that's my little journey. <laughs> well, that's... That's a small part of a of a big journey, Leon. And and for 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 someone like myself, for me, and this is this is part of the reason that that I that I really enjoy doing this podcast. I know it's only been a few that I've I've released, but I would never get this opportunity to sit with you and talk with you about it. And because I wouldn't get this opportunity, and we're sitting, we're running in similar circles in in, in MMA at the minute, especially around the Emma side a bit. Um, yeah. But if I wouldn't be able to get to see this side of you, there's going to be someone listening to this far, far away, wherever it may be, and they would never get to be able to sit with you. And 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 especially the bit that you, that you touched on earlier about how MMA saved you and, and brought you back from a place that you didn't that you knew wasn't right. It's it, it's brilliant, mate. This is brilliant. I'm, I'm yeah. It's. I feel like I'm fanboying out a little bit early on with with <laughs> with with you being able to tell it, but it's uh, I'm not honestly I'm not I'm not. But, um, but, the, the, the thing about mental health, Michael, is it's it's ever since lockdown, it's become almost I'm not going to say fashionable because that does a disservice to it. But it's become more apparent, and people talk yeah. about it more often. And you know, I deal with it a lot in my day job, working with young people, and you know what. I think that when we can allow ourselves to be vulnerable and say, do you know what? I've lived this, I've lived through that. I've been there. There's nothing special about me whatsoever, but I'm a survivor. Yeah. If I can survive it, you can survive it. You know, yeah. this is plain and simple. There's absolutely nothing special about me whatsoever. You know, I beat cancer. It wasn't my time to go. There's nothing special about that. You know, but when you've lived something, I feel that you're in a position to actually help people get through that. And if, if my words can help somebody get through that, you know, then that then that, that's a that's a positive thing, isn't it? Because you don't yeah. have to be Superman to, to get through something. You just have to speak to the right person and be influenced by the right person. And do you know what? My 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 biggest support mechanism is my wife. 
Yeah. You know, I've got I've met some lovely people in MMA, but you know, going back to what we said about raising that money for Mark, yeah. You imagine this. I went to Vegas, Miami, Japan, to name other places, funded myself to go. So I said to my wife, We can't have a summer holiday this year because I'm gonna to go to Vegas for a week. Yeah. And she's like, Yeah, you need to do it. Go, you need to be with it. Go. So to have someone like that stand side by side and support you and motivate you and encourage you, geez, I mean, if, if you, if anyone listening to this has is, is got, got a good woman or, or a good bloke behind them, because, you know, there's a, yeah. there's a lot of women that are involved in this, it is a true blessing. Yeah. An absolute yeah, yeah. blessing. And I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky, you know. My wife's put up with me for, bloody hell, 20, 26 years now we've been together. Yeah, uh, she deserves a medal every anniversary that comes around. I tell you, that's for sure. <laughs> if, if you get around to listening to this, Claire, I, I, I'll. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the shirts are going to be smaller for her to iron at the minute, though, Leon. So it's, it's... Yeah, but, you know, I've gone, mate, I'm in a double XL already. I reckon, give another couple of months, I might be in an XL. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> so so let's take it back to to that 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 time between 2002 and 2008 Leon so let's let's you, you've started off at the, at the first show you've then moved on to 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 the show in Bristol you've yep. you've then gone down to with Andy Gear down to Cage Rage which is is for I spoke about this in in the podcast with Dan for anybody that doesn't know for any young people listening to this that or people new to MMA Get on YouTube, get on whatever whatever viewing platform you can get onto, watch Cage Rage. It was by far the UK's premier uh, MMA promotion at that time. It was an amazing oh, promotion to be at, an amazing oh, promotion to watch. So, so that's that. Yeah, so so that bit for you, Leon. So you're now on Cage Rage. You, you're working whatever other shows around the UK you're doing it as, as well. Yeah. How did that that sort of time between 2002, 2003, and 2008, when you got the call up to the big show, mm. take us through that bit, mate. Take us through a little bit on that. For me, that was, I was still very much into my coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> coaching for me was taking the majority of my time. I'd be down the gym six days a week, which, you know, for a professional fighter, that's expected. But for someone that's not fighting to, to be down there and make those sacrifices, and I don't want anyone to pat me on the back, but I'd sacrifice, as anyone involved in MMA, you sacrifice birthdays, holidays, special occasions, you know, <clears throat> because there's an end goal you want to get to. So, you know, I was taking UK fighters all over the country, fighting. Um, you're overseas with Mark. You know, we, we did the Millennium, we did the Royal Albert Hall 2002, which was UFC 38, UFC 40, we were in Vegas, which was uh, Vendetta, which was the big grudge match between Tito and Ken Shamrock. Yeah. And here's a really interesting thing. I was a big fanboy of Ken Shamrock. Right. Okay. Um, back then, wherever I went, I took my camera and I took pictures of everyone. And I seen Ken Shamrock and he's like, you could see me looking at him and I was like, I've got to go and speak to him. And I went over and spoke to him and had a chat. And I said to the lads, oh, I'm just off with Ken. I'll be back in a minute. And he took me off to his dress rehearsal for the UFC. These are the days you had the big ramp down to the cage. He took yeah. me with all the Lions Den fighters to his dress rehearsal. Yeah. For UFC 40. Oh, yeah. And I was like, 
what the hell's going on here? You know, you think of all the lines, then boys, you know, and, and I was with them watching him do it. And I, I was like, wow. So that was UFC 40. Then we did UFC 42 in Miami, um, <clears throat> which, you know, unfortunately, Mark lost both of those, both of those fights. Um, so we came back and he got um, back into fighting on cage rage. Yeah. Um, and other promotions. Um I'm just trying to think of the year we went to um, Japan. We went to Pride Bushido. We went over to Japan and fought in uh, fought in uh, Japan. And I don't know if we've got the time for a really, really funny story, really interesting Mate, story. we've got as much time as you want. So, yeah, let's go so, for it. When you go to Japan, people tell you not to tip. In America, you tip. In Japan, you don't tip, right? So we tried this out, and we went and had some food. We left the money on the table. The manager and the waitress chased us down the shopping mall where we were to give us our money back. And I was like, Mark, this is this is crazy, man. This is this is really weird. So after the fight, he fought Dennis Kang, for those that can remember. Um, one of the most difficult times for me because he was taken to a Japanese hospital and I had an interpreter and I had to make a decision whether or not they should operate on him. And I had to mm -hmm. sign all these waivers. And so it's a very, very traumatic time for me. But anyway. Didn't have an operation. Went back to his hotel the next day. He said, "Leon, I really fancy pizza," but his hot, his eye was really swollen. So I went and got him a pizza. The restaurant ran out of pizza boxes, so the head chef followed me from the restaurant back to the hotel yeah. with a pizza for Mark. Took it to his room, put it on his side. I tried to tip him. No, 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 sir. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Wouldn't allow me to tip him from walking from his restaurant back to the hotel with a pizza. Wow. Shocked me. I've, <laughs> I've never experienced a culture like that before. Yeah. 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 Crazy. Absolute, absolute crazy, mate. You know, but that was, that was Japan for you. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, very interesting place. So, yeah, we, you know, we went out there and fought there. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was a busy time with Mark, but also the other guys. Yeah. And it was, it was a time where, you know, you, you look at a jigsaw puzzle and I, I managed to put myself as that piece in a jigsaw puzzle. I found somewhere that I felt I fitted, I belonged, and people relied on me. And it was, it was arranging training schedules, arranging people's weight cuts, transporting to venues, everything, you know. And every fighter, a coach will tell you this, every fighter you've got needs to be dealt with in a different way. Yeah. Like, I knew yeah. that Mark Weir, right? He'd have to have a pack of chewing gum on hand for when he's eating, he has to eat chewing gum straight away. Mm -hmm. You have to have a pack of straws because he will not drink out of a glass. He would always have a straw. Mm -hmm. And I know what music he liked. And when we were in the hotel room, I knew, knew I needed to have Kings of Comedy for him. You yeah. know, someone like Matt Ewan, okay, I know I needed to be very aggressive in my language, very brutal with a warmer blast DMX. So I had to understand each fighter, what they required. So it's almost like being a personal assistant. I had a little notebook and I knew what each fighter needed, the music they liked, what you know the food they liked the night before everything so you know that whole period as well as refer as well as refereeing was still being a, like a personal assistant and a coach to, to all the boys that were fighting yeah 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 well that's um there's some dedication to the sport there leon it really is so for, for for you being a, a working man a family man and and being able to look after all the fighters and, and that's mate i go back to again what i said not not too far from the start about you being you coming across to me like a big brother to everybody and that it just shows it again because not only were you 
well, you like that with me at Cage Warriors when I worked with you at Cage Warriors, but you're also, you're showing that you were like that with with fighters. You learned about each individual person. You learned about their, their likes, their dislikes, their needs, their wants, whatever else. And you made it selflessly. You made it all about them. You made it all about them and all about getting them out to the, out to the, the cage in the best possible condition and in the best possible mindset as well. So it's... Um, it's a testament to well, it, was, it was a period of it is a real life life changing for me because when i was training with mark i used to go out on thursday friday saturday night get absolutely lagered off my head go clubbing and just be doing all kinds of madness and he was a dormant and i'd rock out to train on a sunday morning after drinking like whatever many pints and he'd be like what are you doing to yourself mate why are you drinking all that rubbish so i stopped drinking and i started working the doors yeah so that aspect changed as well. So, you know, it was it was kind of a whole life-changing thing. And I think that's what MMA does. It, it really, your core values stay the same yeah. for a lot of people. However, you know, I don't know if, um, I, th I think it's on YouTube, Mark Epstein, Mark the Beast Epstein, who uh, is a massive fan favorite for Cage Rage, he did, an, he, he did an interview, I think a couple of weeks ago, talking about, where he was and what MMA did for him and how it's changed his life, you know? Yeah. So it can change people's lives, but also if you've got core values, which are positive, you keep those core values in whatever niche in life you do, whatever arena. And I, I guess, you know, that just kind of fitted where I was. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I had some wonderful, wonderful training sessions. I mean, you know, being a coach for Mark also meant I was one of his sparring partners. Yeah. And, when the door locked down the pit, it was bolted at the top, bolted at the bottom, and you're in there. And literally, if two or three people turn up, I remember a time where I'd be sparring him, and he'd bust my nose, I'd be bleeding. Somebody else would go on, and then nose would be bust. And he'd be doing burpees and star jumps, saying, right, the first person to stop bleeding, get back on. And you're like, oh, jeez, you're bleeding. You stopped, I'm bleeding, I'm bleeding. Yeah. And that makes him find really brutal, but he's not at all, you know. But that that was what we were in. That was the re that was the, the realms of you lock the door, you go in there, the walls are sprayed of blood, you wipe them down afterwards. It was hardcore, full on training. And mm -hmm. yeah, made you feel alive. And, and it and it was it was also the old the older school mentality of training as well. So we for for you to get to that level, you need to you need to train and you need to do it and, and you need to move forward. It's only, mm. it's probably only in the last 10 or 15 years that, that people have started tapering off or they've started to understand. It's probably only come to light in the last five or five or eight years that, that people have started to slow down a bit on hard sparring, especially. Absolutely. And you know, when you look at football, they're on about the damage you can do from head in the ball, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot, there's a big study on American football from the, the head damage. You look at, you know, one of my all-time favorite fighters from back in the day was Big Daddy Gary Goodridge. Yeah. You look yeah, at his yeah. statement now, but he will do an interview and say, I do not regret a thing. I would yeah. not change anything. Even though I'm like this now, I would not change anything. And you know what? It was very, I don't know whether it was masochistic or not, but back in the day, when a guy was training for a fight, I didn't want a sparring partner to get hurt. So I wanted what someone... I wanted people to feel what Brandon Pan was like. Mm -hmm. How much energy you exude from that. So I would allow myself to be the punch bag. Yeah. So you'd have your six-ounce gloves on, and I'd say, right, you've got a minute to tee off on me now as much as you can. 
sometimes with a head god on, sometimes not. And that's not me saying, hey, look at me, I'm a tough guy. But I didn't want another trainer partner to get hurt, so I took that on board. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Michael, it sounds really weird, and I'm sure that maybe some people can relate to this. I'd go home, driving a car, concussed, couldn't eat my tea because my jaws hurt too much. But it made me feel alive, man. It made me feel good. Yeah. Something that made me feel alive about that. And yeah, um, I know people might listen to it and go, well, what a bloody idiot. No wonder he's just <laughs> <laughs> no, no wonder, no wonder he's got that funny accent if he's if he's took that many punches to the head. <laughs> that sounds a bit like Jethro, doesn't he? Eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that mate, it's it's but again, it's it's exactly what I've said a minute ago, mate. It's it's you. It's your personality. It's your it's your build up. It's your makeup. So, um, but but yeah, but but looking so in the build up to when so obviously working on Cage Rage, you're you're already in the realm of working with Mark Goddard as well. So he's he's working on Cage Rage as well. You're working on it. You've met whoever else there is in the in the in the pathways. You get that um, you get that phone call from him to say that the UFC are going to be calling you. Um, yep. Now, for you already being a self-confessed introvert and you didn't even want to go on to Cage Rage because Cage Rage, there's there's tens of thousands of, or hundreds of thousands of people around the world watching this. Uh, it's, yep. it's, on, it's on the telly. It's in that there, London. I don't want to do it. So yep. you get the phone call from the UFC, which... To anybody, to anybody who's everybody in the in the sport of MMA knows it's the big show. That's that's the one yeah. with in the Western world at least. That's the one yeah. with 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 all eyes on it. I know we've got one FC. I know we've got uh, Bellator. I know we've got uh, countless other promotions that that could be classed as big shows as well, or should be classed mm-hmm. as big shows as well. But for us. And especially at that time, there was probably only one or two big shows like that. You had the, the Japanese promotions as well. But you get the you get the call from from the big show to come and do an interview to mm. then go on the uh, to, to to work on um, uh, to work in two thousand and eight in Birmingham UFC eighty nine. What was what was going through your head at that point? Once you've got that phone call, and and I'll tell you a story about a phone call in a minute for me that I, that relates very similar to what you said, but. What was going through your head at that point, mate? I, I can't imagine it at the minute because I'm not there. But what was what was going through your head at that moment? 2000 and, 2008, you get that phone call. What, what's going through your head? I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go. Yeah. Um, that imposter syndrome kicked in. Who the hell am mm-hmm. I to go to UFC? Who, what the hell is all this about? And, you know, my wife, I mentioned her earlier, she kind of looked at me and said, what are you doing? This is the biggest opportunity you could ever have. And you're going to turn it down because you're worried about what might happen. You're worried about what could happen. Yeah. Think about all the positives. Think about all the positives and let's go. And she all, she got the train ticket. She jumped on the train with me. She came down with me, waited outside the offices when I went in. Um, almost like held my hand like a security blanket. Come on, I'm not going to let you back out. And and yeah, I went in. And, and when they said, yeah, we'll get you on UFC 89, I was like, in my head, I was like, well, we don't have to do it straight away. We can, we can, don't have to do it straight away. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I, rem- I remember this vividly. We went to Pizza Hut and we sat Pizza and Goddard rang me up. And he went, How'd it go, mate? I went, Yeah, I'm in. 
he's like, yay, we're getting all excited for me. It's quite a thing, you know, because back in 2002, I, I knew I knew Mark, but I didn't know him, if you, if yeah. you get me. You know, I, I'm very fortunate now that after all the years we've known each other, we've become very, very close. And Mark knows me and I know him in MMA and outside of MMA. So, so yeah, it was... Um, it was crazy. And the most ironic thing about that, Michael, is by default, and for no other reason, I became the first UK official to officiate a UFC fight because I did the very first prelim. Per Eklund, Semi Chavo, Birmingham, UFC 89 was the first fight and I refereed it. So I stepped in as the first British official to referee a UFC fight. And that's something that is will always stay with me. Will always so stay with me. At that point, Mark hadn't even worked in in the States or no. anywhere else in Europe. Oh, wow. No, right, that, was that's a, a, that, was a, that was the first show. And if memory serves me correctly, we both did that one. We did Dublin the following year. Then the UFC said they wanted to get us more, um, they wanted to get us more recognized. So they flew Mark out to Philadelphia, I believe. And he worked mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. And then they gave me the double header. They said, do you want to come out to Oklahoma, do a fight night in Oklahoma? then travel across to Dallas and we'll give you USC in Dallas as well. So I did I did back-to-back -back shows in a week, Oklahoma and Dallas in 2009. Wow. And let me tell you, when you when you've when you've just started and you're being transferred on a coach with the likes of Eddie Bravo, the late Sean Tompkins, Mike Goldberg, the Ring Girls, everyone else, and you're on a coach with all these people, you're sat there thinking, oh shit. Do I belong here? This is crazy. But that was when I first became good friends with Big Dan Mogliata. Yeah. He took me under his yeah. wing for that trip and we we become solid friends since then. You know? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was crazy. So yeah, it was um and it was because of the show I did in Dallas, the commissioner there um liked me for whatever reason and invited me to go and do a strike force there, the Overeem okay. and Vadoom. So I was the only British official that's ever done a strike force show. So again. You know, that's something that for me, for me personally, that's something that I've done that no one else has done. So it's very significant for me. Like naively, I never knew either of those facts about the about you being the first. You that's amazing that you were the first ever UK or British UFC referee and or official, not even referee, first first official. And not official. First, no. Oh, okay. No, because the. When was it Bisping fought Matt Hamill in London? I think it was a good friend of ours who, God rest his soul, passed away. Chris Watts, he was a judge. So, Chris oh, Watts right. was a judge. So, yeah, right. he was the first. I can't say official, I can say referee. He, he so, judged. the first yeah. British referee to referee a fight in the UFC. And to date, well, I say to date, Strike Force is, is no longer with us, but, but the oh, only. Yeah. British referee to, to referee at Strike Force as well. So, yeah. The thing is, Michael, that's come out in conversation because that's a little bit of personal history for me. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why I don't like doing these things because it's almost like ego stroking. It's almost like, oh, look at him saying he's the first this and first that. And that's not me. It just come out in conversation. And, and I'm thinking that, shit, I shouldn't have said that, but it, it's just kind of come out. Yeah. But it's, it's facts, though. It's not like you standing there and yeah, saying, it's fact, it's um, fact, yeah. 
it's not like you t- stand there and saying, I banged out 10 fellas in one night and, and I did this and I did that and whatever else. It's, it's facts, it's cold, hard facts and figures, Leon. And this is, this is the difference between ego stroking and just telling your story. And this is all part of your story. And I'm not, mate, I, I've been an official since 2011. This is, this is the first time I'm hearing that you were the first referee in the UFC and the first referee in, in strike force. So, or UK based in, in both of those. So if it's the first I'm hearing of it, it's very likely going to be the first that other than a few people, there's going to be some, I, I don't want to use the word geek or nerd, but there's going to be, you, you, we're going to go on the chases. That's going to be a question on the chase. Who was the first ever British referee <laughs> <laughs> to referee the UFC? And if anyone gets that right, they they deserve to win all the money. Absolutely every <laughs> single penny of it. But um, And for anybody who doesn't know what the chase is, it's just some rubbish UK TV programme that, that that both me and Leon know. So it's, it's fine. It's fine. But, um, but yes... <laughs> So yeah, so you you've now gone on that roller coaster. So from 2008, you go you go to London, with 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 Claire holding your hand and pushing you in the door, telling yep. get up them steps, go and speak to them people, make your tie yep. straight or whatever she told, polish your shoes, and then you've gone in, you've done that, and within what 18 months to two years, you've gone from a British show in the UK, well, an English show, Birmingham. You've flown over. Mark's obviously gone out and done his show. You've gone out and done yep. that double header in Dallas. You're then all of a sudden we want you to come back and do to do Strike Force. That is that was um, that was actually two years later, 2011. It's two years later I actually went back and did Strike Force. So it was a while before I went back, but the, it was it was a heavyweight Grand Prix. So I refereed um, Daniel Cormier against Jeff Monson as well. Yeah, and they just wanted me to go out and do it. So it was a while, but it was yeah. Right, it was still three. That's still only three years from touching the big show to, to to being on your first show in the UK on the big show to a, a, a commissioner in Dallas, a million mile, well not a million miles away, but a long, long way away from from sleepy old Gloucester, who says, "Leon, you're the man for me. You're the man for me. I want you to come back out and I want you to do this." That's that's got to be for. For somebody who suffers, as, as you've openly said, from imposter syndrome at times, that must have been mind-blowing for you. Absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, I, I probably didn't sleep for the week leading up to it, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. But again, you know, my wife, she's a, she's a dancer. She's, a, she's danced since she was a kid. The more people that watch her dance, not that she loves herself, but she just gets a buzz out of it. Like, I guess, I guess a fighter with a big crowd. So she's very much, she always has a positive outlook on everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it was very much like, I'm like, yeah, but I'm going to be away. And this, she's like, I don't care. Go. It'd be amazing. Do it. If you never do anything else after this, you've done something that no one can take away from you. Yeah. And I was like, go on then. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. So yeah, encouragement was key from her. It really was. Yeah. It yeah. always has been right, right the way through to, to what happened, you know towards the end of my career yeah massively yeah. so 2011 now you've 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 gone out there you've done strike force you've got a a, yep. a handful of ufcs under your belt as well obviously you're still working on other shows around the uk yep. um yep. it would have probably been around that time uh 2010 sort of time 2009 i think it was might have been even 
that, uh, that Cage Rage dissipated as a as an organization as well. You've got yep. UCMMA coming up out of the ashes of that. So I know you worked on some of the earlier shows for, for yep. UCMMA as well. And you've got other shows that you're working on. Um, you've gone out to back out to Dallas for Strike Force as well. So so yep. what was so what was the next step from there then? Leon, for, for you, you've, you've worked your uh, strike force in Dallas. Take us through the, the next part of the, the journey. Look, we've still, like, we've still got 10 years to go through yet. So it's, it's, <laughs> we're, 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 and, and you, you doing strike force in, in Dallas. Uh, what yep. month was that in, in, uh, in 2011? Can you oh, remember? I can't remember? Yeah. No, I so can't whatever remember. it was, it would have middle of the year, probably um, out yeah. in Dallas. To put this in perspective for me, I didn't yep. start officiating in MMA until November 2011. So you've already hit the big show. I already know who you are at this point, Leon, and you've been there for a couple of years, and I'm I'm still about to take my first step in my in my MMA officiating journey. So yep. this is this is why it's so exciting for me because we're really talking about people that were there. You you were one of the people, one of the many people um, who built the ground base for me to come and get involved with. So that's, that's why I was really, really keen to, to, to get you on because you're one of the people that, that, that led the way for me to get involved. So it's in, and if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be where I am today sitting here speaking to you. So I, I would have never have met you. So eh? that's, that's nice of you to say, Michael. Nice. <laughs> I wouldn't be sitting here jealous of the fact that you've shaved your head and I haven't. So I, I look, I look a bit scruffy, <laughs> and, you're, and you're looking top dollar. So yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So so 2011 forward. To take us, tell us, tell us what happens then forward. Then Leon, what's what's going okay. on? With you? So um, basically. Um, <clears throat> Because we don't have a commission in the UK, um, anything outside of North America, yeah, you know, Mark and myself were working. We were being flown all over the world, um, Japan, um, Macau, Brazil, Australia. They were flying us all over the world. Um, yeah, and yeah, very very humbling. And 2012 was when things changed for me because that's when I got diagnosed with cancer. Okay, right. Kind of put a, a halt to proceedings on officiating. Yeah. Um, so I got diagnosed, and I got diagnosed four days before I was due to fly out to Rio, to yeah. referee in Rio. And stupidly enough, I said to the uh, oncologist, I said, okay, fine, you've told me I've got cancer, I need surgery. I'm due to go to Rio for a business trip. Is there any chance I could go back and then I can have my surgery done afterwards. And the look on the guy's face, he was almost like, Mr. Roberts, you do know that you've got cancer. And he thought that I got so upset in my head, I wasn't thinking straight. I said, no, 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 I get that. But it ain't going anywhere. So a week really isn't going to affect anything, is it? And that's where he just shot me down in flames and said, are you a complete idiot? You need this done. I'm booking you in next Tuesday. And I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to Rio. Um, so I had to cancel... I had to cancel my show in Rio, Macau, and, and a few other shows, I think. Um, whilst I had surgery, had chemotherapy, and I had radiotherapy, and uh, and got myself back to some sort of fitness. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, I've I've lost some very dear friends through cancer. Uh, Chris Watts, who I mentioned earlier, UFC judge, 
you know, I watched him battle with cancer, bless him. And uh, he, did, he didn't come through. Uh, my cancer was testicular cancer, which for me, you know, it was like a common cold compared to what some of these poor buggers go through with cancer. You know, it's a brutal, brutal disease. But throughout that journey of cancer, the UFC and Mark Goddard were pivotal. Yeah. Pivotal in my MMA. Absolute pivotal. I can't underestimate that. You know, um, for those people who have heard of Mark Ratner, yeah. Mark Ratner was in communication with me. He even emailed me on Christmas Eve, wishing me and my family the best, telling me, as soon as you beat this, and you will beat this, give me a call, you're straight back in. And I've kept that email because it meant a lot to me. And the March of 2013, UFC was in London. And I remember it was January, and Mark Goddard rang me up. I remember looking out the window, it was a stormy, horrible day. Mark Goddard rang me up. You're right, you big fuck. You got over this cancer stuff yet? And I said, yeah, I've just finished up my radiotherapy. He goes, good. Because because UFC's coming to March. It's not been advertised yet. I'm on it. And you're on it, you big fuck. So get yourself ready. I'll meet you there. And it was just like to have that positivity thrown at you. Yeah. You know? And I I had several referees contact me personally and wanted my bank details to transfer me money. Yeah. I said, that's okay. I get sick pay for my job. No, 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 I want to send you money to make sure that you and Claire and the boys are looked after. And my show in Rio and Macau, they got um, an Australian referee to do it. And he rang me up and he said, right, I'm doing it because you're not there. He said, you're getting the money. For both of these shows, you're getting the money. Yeah. And I said, don't be silly. He said, no, you're getting the money. I'm asking the UFC to send you the money direct. I don't want the money because it's for you. So kind of thanked him very much and said that's not happening you keep the money you're working but when you have people like that you know the goodness that's around the sport you know yeah. the positivity that's around the sport because that's deeply deeply humbling yeah you know the ufc the biggest promotion in the world contacting little old me how you doing do you need anything how's your wife bearing up we're waiting yeah. for you to come back Mate, I could have just been forgotten about and replaced easily. Yeah. But they didn't. And that's something I will never, ever forget. Never forget. So, yeah, I did make that show back. I got back. And that's the, uh, I said to you earlier, I did an interview with Nick Pete. We sat in a hotel and he said, right, I know you don't do interviews, Leon. He said, but I'd like you to do an interview about cancer and how you found out so we can make an awareness. So the whole article was about checking yourself and being aware of cancer and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, and then jump straight back in, straight on the bandwagon, straight on the UFC bandwagon. Was that your Less first show back as well, Leon? My first show back. Fucking hell. <laughs> Didn't, wow, just, just like from nothing to that is, is like, that's brilliant. That's brilliant for, for, yeah. That's the, that's the power of people telling you that actually you can do this. Yeah. That's the power of when you don't believe in yourself, people that you trust and respect believing in you. That right there is the power of that. Because if I hadn't had those phone calls and those emails, I wouldn't have jumped straight back in the octagon. Bloody hell no. Absolutely yeah. no way. So that's, that's yeah. the power of the, the power of positive, kind, genuine people. Mm-hmm. 
about yeah. and, the, and the people that you've you've got around you at that point and the people that are helping you through it obviously claire being your rock the 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 uh the ufc giving you all of that support mark ratner um mm. Mark Goddard, all of these people that are around you at the time, and countless other people that are that are doing the same thing and and making sure you're all right. This is where and and look, this is an MMA podcast. It's not a mental health podcast, but this is this is a perfect example of in two stages in your life that that you that you were at your lowest point. MMA has brought you through it. And I'm not just saying it's it's MMA, but the people around you being at the right place at the right time. It could have been football, it could have been rugby, it could have been tiddlywinks, yeah. whatever it could have been. Yeah. You having that come to you at the right place at the right time with the right people and the right mentality, the right mindset has dragged you out from potential dip- or, or mental health issues at the start of it in the early 90s. And at this moment, in, in a really, really low point for you, dragging you back up again and and mark giving you that motivational speech again which he's probably used over and over again of you big fuck just get up and do it and power of positivity we're we're, um we're we're too used to in the uk and in the world we're too used to trying to one-up everybody and and we're too used to as a culture they try and one-up everyone as a trying to not only one up everyone else but then drag them down if they're too high above us we yep. want to drag them down we don't want and, and that's the power of positivity that, that people can really use to to try and help help pull up massively people. Yeah. yeah yeah massively i mean anybody that's been involved in mma or any sport as long as i have my closest friends are in mma yeah. i know now i could ring up any one of the guys i train with say yeah i've got a problem and they'll be here same as they, if they ran me up i'd be there day or night mm-hmm. you know uh, and, and that's international as well. When, when I had to tell Dan, big Dan Murbiot in America that I had cancer, his wife rang me up and said, Dan's in the kitchen crying, looking at flights to come over. He's coming to the UK to see you. Wow. And I'm like, yo, darling, darling, no, 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 no. Let me speak to him. I'm a cool man. I'm cool. He was going to get on a flight to come over and see me. Yeah. You know, so the people that I train with in Mark's Range Fighting Club, the BJJ guys I train with a lot now, you know, the, these are like my family. These are my brothers. These are people that, you know, and, you know, I say BJJ because <laughs> after I went through cancer, I went back into training and wondered why I was getting all my teeth knocked out. Yeah. I got the chemotherapy weakens your enamel, right? So yeah. <laughs> I, had to, I had to start rolling more rather than taking the licks around the face because I was losing all my teeth, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But, um, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, I've met you through MMA, you know, yeah. we, Outside of this podcast, we can sit cage side and have a lovely chat. And there's just genuine people that, you know, just great to be around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's, mate, I, I'm, I'm very, very thankful. I've, I've got a very small group of friends. I, I, everybody knew me when I was growing up. I knew everyone and everyone knew me and it was, it was all good. But, but like now I've got a really, really small, close-knit group of friends outside of MMA that have nothing to do with MMA whatsoever. Yep. Same as that. Uh, yep. Yeah. Same as me. Yep. But then inside MMA, um, I feel like it's not. I haven't necessarily. I've got some friends in MMA, but I do feel like that that a lot of the people that I see along a, a lot of times 
they're more like family. They're my brothers. They're my sisters. That that we're, we're people that are all trying to. We're all moving in the same direction, and you, you can really notice it if somebody's if somebody's not trying to pull in the same direction as you in our sport, in our fledgling sport that's only yeah. 25, 30 years old now. Um, anybody who's not pulling in the same direction, anybody who's not trying to lift us up to the next level, they just go to the wayside, and and they're yeah. and. Unless that, unless they will come with you on this journey, unless you can help re-educate them to, we need to be doing this, we need to be doing that, we need to have the basics in place. Not for me and you, because we're the officials. We're cool. We could turn up. We could take our money. We could watch someone get their head punched in. I could put a ten nine in the card. You can hold someone's hand up at the end, and we can all go home with our with our couple of quid and a bit of petrol money and a and a sandwich from out the back, and we're done but we don't, we yep. decide that no, we're going to make sure that the pro- the promotions that we're working on are doing everything right for the fighter. Cause that fighter nine times out of 10, especially the people I deal with nine times out of 10, that fighter's got to go back to work on Monday. This is Saturday night. They've got to go, go back to work yeah. on Monday. So that's where, yeah. that's where we've got to be. But so if we go back to that first show in London, Leon, you've, you've done that first show in London back to March, 2013. Yep. Is that you now back? Is that you back full time, or have you still got a? Have you got to ease yourself back into it again, or or what's where did where did you go straight from? back in? Straight <laughs> back in, my man. Straight back in. When when you when you haven't got something, you realize how much you miss it. Yeah. And those periods of time where I wasn't refereeing, I lost part of me. I lost part of my identity, and it was not pleasant. And mm-hmm. it wasn't the point of jealous and envy that other people were doing it and I wasn't. It was a fact of, this is who I am. This is what I do. Yeah. And as much as it, I have to go through my routines and I have to get over my anxieties and my stresses, this is me. And, and not having that really highlighted that. So that's what made me write straight back on your buff. Let's go. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're all guns blazing again. So if we could... So the bit that I'd like to delve into a little bit now, Leon, is is obviously, so the 2013, you're back into it. You're back in UFC London. It's your first show back. Mark's twisted your arm, give you a Chinese burn, told you if you don't turn up, you're on the naughty list. So you've gone in, you've done it. Really and truly now, I want to look at, so to get us not up to date, but get us to maybe the end of 2019. So looking at that six-year period, we've got a nice little period then. What... Yeah. How, how does that go? So from 2013 to, to 2019, end of 2019, what does that look like from, from a Leon Roberts experience and, and all your way through? Um, it was it was ever increasing. I was doing more and more shows. I was doing the UFC. I was um, brought in as a ref for Bellator. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Mike Mazzulli, who is the head of the Mohegan South Athletic Commission, he sanctions all the shows that come over to the UK because they needed an athletic commission to do that. So Mark was working with him. And then, you know, Mark's crazy busy. I mean, he's he's just got too many shows to do. So, you know, they wanted to know if I could work for them. And I'm like, of course. And it was, when it first came over, it's kind of a, a co, um, they did a co-promotion with Bama. You know, yep. Bama to start with, then it was slipping to Bellator. Um, so I started working for, for Bellator, got on really well with Mike Mazzulli and fair play. I mean, 
he took me to America. He took me over to the Mohegan Sun to do back-to-back shows for him, um, where I refereed Crow Cop's um, last fight. Okay, um, yeah. Which was quite significant for me. It wasn't a, uh, an amazing fight, but it was his retirement fight. I didn't know it was going to be a retirement fight, but it, it turned out to be that way. So he took me over to Mohegan Sun. I did two shows over there, and I was working for, um, for them. Um, I was working for KSW. And I was working for um, a few local promotions um, because I, I really like to be involved with grassroots stuff. I think it's yeah. really important. Um, you know, you're not going to go to these promoters and say, oh, well, because I work for the UFC, I want X amount of money. I'm like, look, let me come along and do a few shows, but I'm not going to do your main event. Let's get another referee to get the profile of getting your main event. Let me just get in there, you know, be there, help bring some referees through. You know, and the, the promotions like that because, you know, people like to say, oh, you're famous in MMA. No, let's not get that twisted at all. I'm not famous. I'm recognized. Yeah. Because when we do the UFC, they do that stupid thing where they say, and your referee tonight is, and your face is on that big screen. You know? Yeah. Trust me, Mark, but if I could wear a little Nacho Libre mask and go out to fireworks <laughs> after every show, I would be there. <laughs> but anyway, it doesn't work that way. So <clears throat> you get recognized. And promotions like it, your name, and you go down there and help out. But I think it's really important. You don't go down there and say, right, I'm here. I'm doing the main event. So, no, I'll do a few prelims. I'll do a couple on your main card. And, and let me be there and, you know, let the other guys get the main events in and build their resume up. <clears throat> Working for Cage Warriors as well, which was yeah. great. You know, I was involved with Cage Warriors way back when Mark was refereeing for them when it was kind of back in the Cage Rage days. Not as an official, but as a coach. You know, mm-hmm. the fighters I would coach were on cage, cage rage. So I always had a good relationship with Ian Dean. Um, and Ian asked me, you know, would you come and work for cage, cage, cage Warriors? I'm like, yep. And I have a policy, Michael. If I'm asked to do a promotion, I know who's refereeing it. I contact those referees and say, look, the promoter's asked me to come and work. Why are you not working? Oh, yeah, I've got, I'm going on already, brother. I've asked him to contact you. That's absolutely fine. Unless I've spoken to the referee, I will not. I will not agree to any show. Mm-hmm. I need to know why that referee is not being used. Because in any industry, there's a lot of backbiting, backstabbing, people trying to leapfrog other people. So I'm very much like I've never, ever, ever advertised myself or my services, and I will never ever do a show at the detriment of another referee. Mm-hmm. So you know, I was covering Mark. Mark was away a lot, so I was covering him. When Rich Mitchell was away, I was covering Rich Mitchell. Um, and both of those guys, I love working with them, so it's phenomenal for me. So, yeah, UFC, Bellator, Cage Rage, KSW, Brave, you know, going out with Mark to Pakistan and Brave, and having a 20 year old bodyguard with an AK 47 who's more interested in getting pictures with you saying, Yo, put the safety on that thing, <laughs> swing around an AK 47, put the safety on that thing, mate. So, so yeah, um. So it was all, it was, it was good. I was balancing that with my full-time job. I was balancing that with, you know, my kids and my wife, which, you know, you said, let's go up to sort of 2019. 2019 was my biggest year. Yeah. It was my biggest year as, as an MMA official because I did world title fights on every promotion, including the UFC and Bellator. Yeah. And that for me was huge. So 2019... Uh, was a was a massive year for me. It's probably my, my most significant personal year for achievements. You know, um, 
UFC Bellator Cage Cage Warriors Brave KSW all of those I did world title fights on and when you're asked to do a world title fight it's a significant stepping stone yeah especially for the UFC you know it threw me over to China and uh, I did a world title fight in China which only lasted 45 seconds but it was a world title fight um so yeah it 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 um it was going well up to that point I was I yeah. was I was I was enjoying it and yeah, balancing everything within within the realms of my full time job and everything else. Yeah, yeah. And and for for anybody that doesn't understand, so this is now seventeen years after you first stepped into a a, a, a ring or a cage or or an area as a as a referee. Yeah, your yep. and it took you a seventeen year journey to referee world championships in main events in in the world's best organizations in the premier organizations and and this to me this is something that i want to get across to people that are that are either a few years into officiating leon or or have been or, or want to get into officiating it doesn't come overnight you've got to work at it you've got to follow a process you've got to keep going you've got to have your morals clear and this is this isn't me just saying it as Mike Williams. I've been doing it for 11 years or whatever it is now. This is coming from somebody that it took 17 years of, of hard graft from the first time you started officiating to hitting the absolute pinnacle. You're doing a world championship in, in the UFC in China and on other various other shows as well. Mm-hmm. So that is, that's staying true to your craft. That's that's building your reputation. That's showing people that you're consistent at what you're doing, time in, time out, and and being there and making the right decisions and being in the right place at the right time. It doesn't. It, it being in the right place at the right time is almost as important as following every single process and being being the best you that you could be every time. Because if you weren't the best you you wouldn't be in that position. And yep. if you weren't in that position, it's because you weren't being the best you. So it's consistency and and it's doing what's right for you and what's right for the fighter at every opportunity. Yep. So, yep. so you're there, you're in China, 40-odd seconds in the main event of a, of a world championship fight. You're on top of the world. You're absolutely on top of the world. You've done everything. And for, for an introvert from Gloucester to standing in China, refereeing this world championship fight, that must have been, that must have been one hell of a rush and, and one hell of a, when you get back to the hotel room. So that night you've finished the, the event, you've, you've gone to whatever you've gone to, gone to the bar or you've gone to had something to eat afterwards or whatever you've done, you get back to your hotel room, you lie in bed other than, I've got to phone Claire. What, what what sort of stuff at this point is going through your head of, wow, I've right here, I've done this. Do you know what? After every single fight, I play it back in my mind. Mm-hmm. And after every single show, I don't sleep. I go back yeah. to my room and I have such a massive adrenaline dump. People think, well, if you've got an adrenaline dump, you just crash. Nah. Yeah. Your mind is so, okay, did I do that right? Did I do that? Should I have done this? Should I? You critique yourself, you know. You, you, you. Even if there's everything went well, you're still thinking, 
right. You analyze everything. And perhaps I overanalyze everything too much. So with every show, I'm back in a hotel room. And, you know, let me let me once again allow myself to be vulnerable because, you know, that's what you want to know the whole me and this is me. When I do a show, I have a routine before before the show. All the other guys laugh at me. I'm all over the world. I don't go sightseeing. Mm-hmm. I lock myself away in a room. I meditate and I study because I have to immerse myself in the sport. Yeah, I don't have the opportunity and the, the privilege of being involved in MMA full time. Yeah. So if my car's failed in MOT, the washing machine's broken, the roof's blown off the shed, you know, my kids got trouble at school, whatever, I have to get rid of all of that for that period of time. I have to park it, lock it in a box and park it and become a referee. So as soon as I get on the plane, I have my structured schedule from when I land on the plane to when I get home. I'm very much of a routine person. And this comes to, this will make you laugh, my Michael, so keep a straight face. I lay out my clothes, what I'm going to wear. Everything's black when I referee. Mm-hmm. I have set music I listen to. I get dressed. And I, I, I almost say it's like becoming a superhero. Mm-hmm. I'm becoming, I'm going from being Bruce Wayne to Batman or Clark Kent to Superman. I put that on and I'm like, right, I'm untouchable now. I walk into a venue. I look at my emblem and I'm like, right, I'm here because of that. These people want me here. And when I walk in that cage, I don't care who's in there. It could be the, the real title fight. I'm in there going, in my house, I'm the boss. My rules, I run the show. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters. I can't hear anything. I can't see anything. You just focus on those two fighters. Any referee will tell you that. You just focus on those two fighters. And when you come out, whew, wow, what yeah. an adrenaline. And I have to go through that process every single time I referee to get myself to where I need to be to give those fighters the best opportunity of being officiated in a fair and professional way. And when you're stood in the middle of two athletes in a cage, it's probably the most humbling and privileged position you can be because you can be in. For me, I can't even bring the words to describe it. It's something special about it, Mm -hmm. you know, and we talk about a 17-year journey to get to a world title fight. The prelim on that show is just as important as the main event because it's yeah. two people. It's two athletes. They trained hard. It's their livelihood and everything else. I don't think when I'm stopping a fight that, oh, I'm stopping you getting your win bonus or I'm stopping you in your rankings. That comes out of it. You know, It's autopilot. When a fight needs stopping, it's stopped. You're on the floor. You stopped it. And you're like, oh, how did I get down here? That autopilot, it kicks in. Because everything is so finely tuned, you're in that moment. And so when you when you said about what was I like going back to my hotel room, the same as every other fight. You're decompressed, you try to unwind, but it takes me about 24, 36 hours to actually unwind and, and decompress from, from what I've just achieved, from what I've just yeah. done, making sure that I'm happy that I've done it to the best of my ability. Yeah, yeah. Talking about pre-fight rituals, um, I've had a couple of people laugh at me, especially when I was out at IMATH in, uh, in, in Abu Dhabi in January. Um, yeah. I have four scrappy bits of paper, Leon, and these four bits of paper that I've got, they are the, um, they're the scoring criteria. I, I judge. I yeah. don't referee. I, I've tried refereeing. I didn't like it. Um, so I judge. I printed this scoring criteria out 
when the scoring criteria changed, 2017, something like that. Might yep. have been 2018 yep. that I printed it out. Um, I've had it ever since. And what I do before, not before I judge a fight, but before I start a show, I will go and find myself a little corner somewhere and I will sit mm-hmm. down and I will read that. I've read that hundreds of times now, hundreds of times, uh, but I will continuously yeah. go back and I will read the scoring criteria. I do that the day mm-hmm. before the show. I do that the morning of a show. I do that when I get to the show. Because for me, like my work outside of, 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 uh, of, of MMA, I'm a, I'm, I'm a respiratory specialist for, for in, the, in the personal protection. So PPE respiratory, that's, that's my job outside yeah. of, of, uh, of MMA. So I, I have so many rules and regulations and EN numbers and I've got to do this and I've got to do mm-hmm. this and I've got to do this. I've then got a wife and two kids. I've similar to yourself. We've got wife and kids at home. You've got a mortgage to pay. You've got yep. house to do. Is exactly what you said. Your washing machines broke down. You've got this, you've got that everything else swirling around in my mind as soon as i get that horrible old bit of paper out i start looking at it and all of that just melts away and all of it disappears and i sit there and and i started doing that in 2018 because i realized i was getting too complacent when i was at the side of the cage and i, and I was mm. sitting there and i was thinking oh yeah i know how to do this i know how to do this i've been doing it seven years now i know how to do this and I realized that I would miss small details in, a, in, in scoring a fight. And yep. if you were to talk to uh, Sam and Dan, probably end of 2019 to now, I'm a hugely different judge, hugely different. And, and I can notice it in myself that I notice minute details. As you said of earlier, course. autopilot. And that's because yep. I've read that. That's my Bible. That's You could take every other bit of paper in the world away from me i need that bit of paper because i read it you i digest it. it every single time and I've, I've spoke to judges previously and they've gone why do you read that every time and i'm like because i need to because now that's got me that's took away some stupid <laughs> the world it in regulations puts you in your zone, it puts yeah. you in your zone it yeah. puts yeah, you yeah. in your judging zone and that's where you need to be for the length of that show right that's- yeah that's what it is. And, and I owe that to the, the, fir- the person that's having their first amateur fight or yep. the person that is fighting for a title on that show. That's who I owe that to. I don't owe it to the promoter. Yes. I don't owe it to me. I owe it to them that I need to be at the best of my abilities when I'm, when I'm judging them. Um, and that's... 100% like, agree. Yeah. I'm so glad that you've got a ritual as well because I feel like a right weirdo when I <laughs> sitting sitting in the corner or sitting up Cage Warriors Southeast. I'm sitting right at the top of the stand, so nobody wants to walk up there to talk to me. So I sit right at the top of the stand with a little bit of paper, and I'll just read that, and um, and it, and it just gets me in the right right mentality for doing it. It's so. it's funny because all the guys I travel with over the years, they know as soon as we land, we got it from meal. As soon as I have my meal, they'd be like, right, we'll see you at breakfast, and we'll see you at the show. Yeah, they don't take the mic anymore now. They just know that that's me, and that that's how I do things. And everybody has to prepare themselves in the way that's right for them. And the way that you prepare isn't necessarily right for anybody else. It should right for you, and you have to find that for you and stick to that. And, yeah, um, you know that's what we've done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're coming up to the end of 2019 now. You've worked on 
numerous world championship fights all across all, all across the world. Um, yep. Where so early 2020, obviously everybody knows what's happening there. COVID hits, the world yep. stops. So for you, obviously for, you've got two parts to this. So your MMA officiating is 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 put on hold at Mar- in March. So in March of 2020. The MMA officiating is put on hold. The gyms yep. are all closed as well, so you can't go to the gym. We're all and, we're all geared up to do Leon Edwards and Tyrell Woodley at O2 in March. Yeah, that was oh, wow. yeah, of course. Yep. Yeah, yep. and um, but also for you, you're the other side to Leon. So outside of it, so your 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 work outside of MMA and outside of the gym is also not not stopped but it's it's different now how you're doing that as well and and how you're getting on with that so i suppose the, the question for you and the question for for that i'd like to put across to you is how what happened or what has happened for you in the last 2 years to to get to this point so we're now we've gone pre covid and now we're talking yep. about COVID and what's happening. We already know at the minute not a lot's happening other than a bit of weight loss because you've because you've done your tricep. But it's, it's <laughs> le- leading up to so so realistically from this point, Leon, it's, it's leading up to Leon Leon Edwards and, and Tyron Woodley getting cancelled all the way through yep. to you working Cage Warriors with me, two thousand and twenty-one in in uh, at York Hall in London. What's how did that period go for you? Um, okay, so probably the most difficult period of my entire life. Um, okay. My mother passed away December 2019. Um, and that, for anybody that's experienced that, Michael, um, yeah, I mean, the words I can't bring about, it absolutely destroyed yeah. me. Um you know, she was she was a rock to the family, and she was suffering with MND. So um, I was asked to go to Auckland um, to do the, the massive show in the big Marvel Arena, and you know, I'd love to have gone, but do you know what? I I couldn't guarantee that my mum would be alive when I came back from that show. So there's no way I was going to have her across the world. Um, so yeah, 30th of December 2019, I lost my mum, and it took me, yeah. Well, I'm not over it now. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's so, yeah. So outside of MMA, I, I lost my mum. I had to deal with all of that and make sure that, you know, my, my dad was okay, my brother and sister, my wife, my kids were okay and deal with the funeral and everything else. Um, and MMA, MMA after that was um, Bellator in Ireland. That was my first show in 2020. Mm-hmm. And the weird thing is, my mum used to send me a text. My mum was a massive warrior. And my mum used to send me a text every single show I did. If it was in Bristol or if it was in flipping Australia, I'd get a text on my mum. And she always used to say, have a great show, stay safe, every single time. And I woke up that morning thinking, I'm not going to get a text today. And I got a text from Goddard. <laughs> His name's come up again. Simply just, and I don't even know whether he knew I used to get a text from my mum. I've got no idea. I don't know whether I ever told him that. And he just said, mate, have a great show. She's watching you. And that's what he put. And I was like, you know what, mate, you're right. So I went out and did Bellator in Dublin. Got myself prepped for 
um, Cage Warriors and then the UFC, which unfortunately both got cancelled. So then we're in limbo, right? We're in this period of limbo. Fight Island's being advertised and banded around. I didn't even give it a second thought, to be quite honest. I thought, you know, they're going to use all the high-profile refs and rightly show, rightly so. Um, Big Blue, excuse me, a call. Leon, we'd like to offer you Fight Island. Would you like to come out? It's this much time away from your family. Blah, 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 blah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, for those people that didn't really understand Fight Island, you, you're, you're on Yaz Island and you're with the MMA community and that's it. That, that is it. Yeah. Um, four shows. Um, first show was the three title fights. And I was asked to do the Jose Aldo Peter Yan fight. And off the back of that fight, I retired as, as a referee. Um, the fight itself was the only time in my professional life I've second guessed myself. Yeah. Look, as a referee, as a judge, we're only human. We make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I've made mistakes before. But in my whole but then it would have been 18 years of refereeing. I've never, ever second-guessed myself. And when I say second-guessed myself, I went to stop the fight. And I said to you earlier about autopilot. You, you dive in, it's autopilot, you stop it. I went to dive in, and I was like, hang on a minute. It's a world title fight. It's Jose Aldo here. Um, he's gasped. He's not getting hurt. Give him the opportunity to fight out of it. And every time I said to him, you've got to do something, you've got to work, he was responding to me. And I stopped it. And yeah, that's when everything came crashing down. Yeah. Um, I don't do social media, but people saying, Leon, don't go on social media, don't listen to it, don't worry about what they're saying, this, that, and the other. And, you know, I could be, I could be a complete dick and say, you know what, my mum wasn't straight because I'm losing my mum. I'm not going to use my mum as an excuse. That's disgraceful. Yeah. You know, I second guess myself. Yeah. So I went to the UFC and I said, you know what? I've got to go. And I felt the only possible way to get off that island was to say I retired. Not I need a break, I've retired. If it had been one show on its own, maybe things would have been different, but, but they weren't. So I retired. I asked him to send me home. And here's the interesting thing, Michael. There's, there's some very interesting things that happened off the back of that. I uh, don't know whether I should mention this or not, but the most powerful man in MMA. Yeah. I think we all know who that is. I got a phone call from his personal assistant uh, saying that he wanted to meet with me. So could I go and see him the day before I flew home? Oh, what the hell? This is a wind-up. And people have differences difference of opinion about this guy, okay? He took half an hour out of his day, called me into his suite, sat me down and said, right, Leon, what's going on? Bearing in mind, I've worked for the company for 12 years up to this point. Um, we've only acknowledged each other, gone, hello, yeah, nice one, that's it. And he sat me down for half an hour, Michael, and he told me what he thought of me as a referee, as a person, as an attribute to the company, and he asked me to reconsider. And I'm like, I, I, I can't get my head around this. And he kind of said to me that MMA media breeds on negativity. Negativity mm -hmm. is something that makes money. Makes money is what makes a business. So you've got to face the facts that people are going to be negative towards you. 
He said, I can't go live on any platform and tell them what I think of a referee. He said, because I love you guys. I think you're all wonderful. You do a great job. I can't tell people that. They don't want to know that. They want me to say this happened, that happened, that was bad, this was bad. And he said, strip all that aside. I want you to stay. The show's tomorrow. I want you to stay. And I just want you to do the first prelim for me. Yeah. And I just said, you know what? For me, the first prelim is as important as the main event. My head's not in it. I haven't slept since the fight. It would be detrimental to the fighters, detrimental to, to your business. I, I, I can't do it. I've got to go. And he said, I respect you for that. Um, but we're going to keep in touch. So I left. They flew me home uh, the day after. And I could see other people looking, going, well, why are you going? What, what have you done? Have you been kicked out? Have you been, have you been asked to leave? But no one, no one would ask me upright. They, they just assumed. And, and you know. <clears throat> so I got back. And yeah, I said to you earlier about when I had cancer, I lost my identity. Yeah, <clears throat> I went down the deep, deep, dark spiral place, mate. I was my, my identity. Everybody who knows me knows me as a ref, first and foremost. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's me. I'm a ref. So that identity was gone. So I came back, I packed up all my UFC stuff, all my fighting stuff. Um, I, I'm an anorak, mate. I'm an MMA fan. I have a cupboard full of DVDs, discs, everything. <laughs> I binned everything, threw everything out. Wow. Put all my top up in a loft. And I have one photo on display in my office, which is the very first UFC. Me, Mark Goddard, Kevin Mulhall, Dan Murgliata. I packed it away. So there's nothing, nothing MMA. I said I was never going to go back training. I was going to give it all up. And that was that was me done. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I entered a real bad place. Um, <clears throat> but the thing is. What it led, what it allowed me to realize is everything happens for a reason in my mind, and I realized I was grieving as for not being a ref, and it allowed me to realize that actually I've not, I hadn't grieved for my mother. Yeah, and I'm not going to say again. I'm going to reiterate. I'm not going to use her as an excuse. My mistake. My mistake only. I take ownership of that. But it made me realize I was grieving for her, and I was like, I'm going to use this time to actually grieve for her properly and get myself in a place where I can try and get over what I've been through. And uh, <clears throat> the UFC, mate, let me tell you, let me tell you, special, special people. Yeah. Okay. They owe me nothing. They've given me everything. In MMA, okay. Leon, we want you to come back as a commissioner because we want you to reignite that spark and get you back in as a referee. Come back out to Fight Island as a commissioner. So he took me out twice to Fight Island as a commissioner. To get me case wow. side to see if it got me the buzz back. Yeah. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> Mark Ratner's emailing me. Leon, how are you? How are you feeling? Mark Goddard's on my case, you know. But here's the thing, Michael, okay? As soon as that issue happened, <clears throat> John McCarthy rang me up, okay? Mark spoke to me. Herb messaged me. Jason Herzog messaged me, okay? All the people who know exactly what I went through was speaking to me and that positivity bounced off. Mm -hmm. All the negativity from people I absorbed I stuck and I shouldered that negativity in a massive rucksack and it weighed me down and weighed me down and weighed me down. Even when I got back to the UK, it just weighed me down. And I, I just thought, you know what? I'm out of the picture now. I'm out of the loop. I'm out of MMA. People forget about me. And sure enough, Herb caused controversy with, I think it was a Jai Herbert late stoppage and you know, the next referee, this, that, and the other, but that doesn't matter. 
I can only control me and I can only think about me and I second guess myself. Yeah. So for me, that was me done. That was me. That was me finished. Um, it took me a while to get back into training. Um, <clears throat> I've got a good friend called Paul Harrington, who's um, one of my BJJ um, training partners. who has got a gym at his house. He just said, Leon, come around. We're trained together. Before you go back down the club, train together. So me and him just trained. And he got me my love back for, for wanting to be around MMA and, and BJJ. So I went back there and that's what allowed me to, to go and do the commissioning work. <clears throat> so my mindset was never to go back. Um, struggled with it. And then Cage Warriors ran up and said, look, we know you retired. And no one else really knew I was retired because several media outlets wanted to do interviews with me and I was like it's not big news mate it's nothing I don't need to tell people I'm retired I'm just going to slip away I don't want to be a martyr I'm just going to slip away <clears throat> and obviously Mark you know was good friends with Ian Dean and he, he told Ian Dean so Ian Dean said look I know you've retired but please Mark and Rich Mitchell are both away in December I need you to come and do Cage Wars for me please could you come and do it as a favour Oh, I can't, 18 months, I can't get back in the cage. I said, give me 24 hours to think about it. So go to my sanding block, which is my wife. She said, what have you got to lose? You said you're never going to go back to it. So if you go back once and things go pear-shaped, what have you got to lose? So I went to Cage Warriors with no expectations and I put no pressure on myself at all, nothing. Mm -hmm. Two shows, <clears throat> absolutely bloody loved it. <laughs> absolutely loved it and the reason I couldn't sleep after Cage Warriors wasn't because of the adrenaline dump it's because I'd go around the room going I can't wait for tomorrow I can't wait tomorrow I want to get back in there again I love it I love yeah. it I love it I've been missing it um, and I was like an excitable little puppy thinking wow you know and the beautiful thing Michael was several fighters and people there who remain nameless messaged me or spoke to me personally and said I'm so glad you're back refereeing my fight. Lovely. And these these weren't guys that won. These were guys that lost as well. Yeah. You know, when I'm standing in the middle holding their hands, the one guy looked at me and he went, I'm so glad you're back, mate. Great to see you back. I'm privileged you're in here with me. And I was like, wow. You know, just just wow. So yeah, my 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 intention was okay. Um Dave Lewis and the UFC were like, right, we'll get you back in for the for UFC London. You're back on it now. <laughs> let's get let's, let's get you in there. And then the last fight of the second show, I uh, <clears throat> detached my tricep and had surgery, <laughs> and that's put, that's put a halt on that. Yeah. So is is this you unofficially coming out of retirement? Then Leon, is this is this you? Are you are you putting yourself back out there? Are you gonna are you gonna give it <sighs> one last hurrah, or is it still up in the? Do you know air? what? Do you know what? If I hadn't have had this tricep injury, you know. Cage Wars had already contacted me, and the UFC had contacted me to work, and I, I was going. I would have taken those shows. But yeah. Look, I'm realistically, uh, I'm going to be out of training for the next six months. It's a long process to heal. Yeah. You can't. You can't just jump back into this thing. You yeah. know. And my spot's been taken. My spot on Cage Wars has been taken. My spot where the UFC be filled by the referees. So <clears throat> maybe my ship has sailed. Maybe maybe I'm not going to be able to referee again. Um, because I'm going to be out of the picture for so long. Because once I, you know, if I got healthy and I wanted a referee, I need to start back and do some small shows, get my feet in it, maybe do some Cage Warrior shows and then up the ante to the UFC. But 
when you're out of the picture, mate, it's, you're out of the picture, aren't you? You know what I mean? Um, so, <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe my ship has sailed. But all I know is if I hadn't have had this injury, I would have been back in for one last hurrah because I, I really yeah. enjoyed it. And I realised again how important it was to me and how much I missed it. But Yeah. And do you think that do you think that importance to you, Leon, wasn't necessarily the refereeing side of it? Do you think it was the whole MMA community that 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 you missed, as opposed to just the refereeing? Because let's be honest, if you, mate, if I had the choice, you would be you you would be refereeing. If it wasn't for this injury, if it wasn't for anything else, mate, I fucking love you as a referee, Leon. I think you're brilliant. But for you we've already gone through the fact that you were a, you went along cause you, you were interested in, in the early nineties. You trained with Mark. You then became a training partner of his. You then became like a personal assistant stroke manager, stroke training partner, stroke everything else to him and the rest of the team. Mm. MMA has been your life for 28 years or whatever it is yeah. now. Yeah. For you, and as we said, for you yourself, it's not just going to be, I want to get back into refereeing. You're part of the Emma setup. The same as me, you're part of the Emma setup. You're, you're, you're up there with the guys. You've got the ears. You've got the ears of the world where it comes to refereeing and, and, and officiating itself. As a referee, if you think your time is up, I don't think your time is up. There'll be plenty of other people that don't think your time is up. And when your time to come back in six months or whether it be a year or whatever it be, you will be able to slot back in, maybe not to the to the world championship level straight away. You'll need it. There'll be a bit of ring rust that you've got to shake off, but you will still be able to do it. And mate, when 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 you come in in your medium t-shirt and you're you're dancing around the ring like a lunatic because <laughs> <laughs> but you're but you're gonna be you're gonna be a different a different animal when you come back because you'll have all these experiences with it. But in the meantime, you're involved in so many different levels of the sport as well, Leon. And and that for me is is very important because you're you're going to be involved in the Emma piece. You're, in, you're already involved in the Emma piece. We've got stuff coming up, two or three bits this year that we've got coming up with Emma that you're going to be involved with from from yeah, uh, yeah. From, from every every aspect, and that for you is keeping you involved. That's for you is keeping you here. And everybody you speak to will want you to be part of that as well. So just because if you decide, and I hope you don't, I really hope you don't, if you decide this is it for you, the amount of people that love and adore you in MMA for, for everything that you've done is still there and we all still want you to be part of it. So whatever whatever aspect of MMA you want to be part of now, and whether it be a coach, whether it be just go back to doing a bit of BJJ, whether it be you're going to end up refereeing again, mate, everyone is going to be behind you 100%, 100%. And, and we've only met properly, Leon. We, we may have crossed paths over the years, but we've only met properly in October, I think it was, last year. October last year, we met properly. And yeah, we did, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was at the Emma event in, yeah. at the Arnold Classic. We've then obviously worked together at Cage Warriors for two nights. So yeah. we've met five times properly on five occasions, three days over the Emma weekender, two days at, at cage warriors. And That's I right, can yeah. already see what, what, what there is with you. 
And mate, for you, for you to come on this podcast with me, for a man that's done two bits of media in 28 years, for you to come on here, that speaks mountains about you because I think it's it's you subconsciously not wanting to show that, it, that the road is over, that, that this is the end of the road. There's still loads to come. And whether it be front of house, whether it be back of house, you're still going to be there. You're still going to be involved. I think you've still got a future in MMA front of house. Mark will tell you, uh, look, Mark's going to listen to this. He's going to get to this point and he's going to phone you up. He won't even finish listening to this. He's going to phone you up and say to you, oi, pull your fucking finger out. We're, 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 we're back on the road. We're, we're going we're gonna to hit it. You know, you know as well as I do, he will. And, and that's because we all know what, what lies beneath what lies beneath in Leon and that timing and everything else is going to slowly come back and it may take a little bit of time, but it will be there and it will be there. But if it's not, if it's not, and it is truly the end for you, what you've said about how, how before you used to go to the smaller shows, and I know you're already doing it with, with, uh, with Meltdown as well. You're, you're, you help out with the guys at Meltdown. You'll go along and you'll, you'll, you'll help out on that side of it. You've got the Emma side of it coming through. We've got all the other shows. Mate, if I could have you, if you lived a little bit closer to, to, to the southeast of London, we'd have you down on every show, helping out and, and passing on that knowledge and, and everything. There'll be, oh, yes. without a shadow of a doubt, you can... You can sleep on my settee if you want. If we can't afford a hotel for you, you can sleep on my settee. It's, it's a nice settee, mine. So, so, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, um, you know, you, you, you've humbled me with your kind words, Michael. You really have. And I, 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 I'm looking down at my feet now rather than looking at you on the screen because I just feel a bit, a little bit embarrassed by, by the stuff you said. Um, you know, I think I'll probably always be involved in some aspect. You know. Yeah. With Emma, I asked, I said to the guys I could pull out of Emma because I didn't feel I was relevant in MMA anymore since I retired. Um, but, you know, they've, they've suggested that it would be a good idea if I stayed. And, you know, people that don't know about Emma, we don't make any money out of it. We lose money on it. We give our time yeah. up for free. We don't advertise that fact. We do it because it's for the greater good of the sport that we love. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, more, I'm more than happy to go to any grassroots or local show to support them. I don't want to get paid. I don't want to be sat in a VIP section. Just stick me somewhere. If I can talk to guys, you know, my good friend Mark Collette, he's helping out with the show in Cyprus. Yeah. And um, he's asked me to go out to Cyprus and, you know, help the commission guys get up to speed. So I'm going to go out and do back a house stuff there, you know, um, because it's just something, if you're passionate about MMA, you're passionate about MMA, right? And uh, yeah, it's, it's something that is defined me since 1993, probably. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know what? There comes a time, you know, when a referee can't referee anymore because he's too old. Yeah. You know, he's got too many injuries from training and, and people do peter off. Um, but you know what? If, if, I, if I didn't have this tricep injury and I came back, you know, I could maybe referee for five, six, seven, eight, nine years, whatever, if, you know, if that, was, if that was the case. But like I said, slots get filled. And I'm not going to come back and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you know me? I've got 20 years experience, blah, blah, blah. I'm, that's, that's not my way, you know? Yeah. If, if your ship sailed, your ship sailed. And you know what? There'll there be something else around the corner regarding, you know, involved in MMA in some respect. But, you know, pe people who, who talk about different promotions and see things on YouTube, they don't always understand the full, the full commitment to these people. Now, 
when I retired, the promotion that gave me the most support, gave me the only support, is the biggest promotion in the world. Yeah. Get that. I still can't get my head around it. I still can't get my head around it. You know, I'm going to be in London on the 19th of March as a commissioner. Yeah. My arm's in a brace. You know, I can't really do much. Yeah, you'll come in. You're part of the team. You're part of the family. Come in. I mean, that, that just speaks. Yeah. yeah. Speaks volumes about you. It speaks volumes about the UFC that they want you to still be involved, but it speaks yeah. even more volumes about you because of because of what you've achieved. Absolutely. But but talking about so you mentioned you mentioned the man himself, Ian Dean, and um, I'll give you. I, I said this to Dan, um, and I, and I'll, I'll say it to you as well. So you're talking about Ian Dean phoning you up or, or the UFC contacting you. So that was it. It's yeah. about the UFC contacting yeah. you. And if Mark hadn't given you the heads up beforehand, you would have thought it was someone winding you up. I am. Yeah. Um, I got the call. I got a text message, a, a WhatsApp message from Ian Dean whilst I was at a, um, a shock and awe event. I was in the middle of a fight when my phone, my, my watch buzzed to tell me and. Um, all I've read was the first line, hi, Mike, it's Ian Dean. And I said this to Dan. I thought that fucking idiot, Dan or Sam, have got another phone number that I don't know of, and they're texting me, trying to G me up. That's what they're yeah. trying to do. They're trying to wind me up yeah. and say, because it wasn't long before that, um, Leon, that I almost stopped officiating myself. I, 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 I almost stopped. I was at a, over lockdown, over COVID. I was at a very low place mentally myself, and I almost stopped. I almost couldn't couldn't move on with it. Um, other stuff had happened in my private life and in my personal life, and I almost stopped. And from not stopping, for becoming involved in the Emma setup, um, for working with Mark and yourself over over the Arnold Classic, um, getting back into shows, reigniting that fire getting on to, to Cage Warriors, those two nights with you and, and Dan and the rest of the team, moving into to being invited, or, or I say being invited, being allowed to go out to IMAF, the the, the MMA god of, of, of officiating, Mark Goddard, allowed me to go out and spend a week in Abu Dhabi with, with the team out there. And then going out this previous weekend to, to KSW as well has just shown me, it's reignited everything in my in my fire and my belief and doing this podcast as well has helped me really reignite the fire again for for mma officiating and, and and start to pull through and and this only came around i spoke to about charlotte about it on my first one this whole podcast only come around because me and charlotte sat in a car for two hours driving up to birmingham and we just talked about mma and this whole this last six months for me has been a real roller coaster in mixed martial arts as far as the officiating side of it and for you, you've had your ups and downs over the last couple of years. But honestly, mate, you've got to stay involved. And for the UFC to call you back to be a one-armed bandit down at UFC um, this in in in, uh, in a couple of weeks' time, you're you're gonna, mate. If it wasn't for the fact I was working on a show, on another show myself, I, I would have, I would have come just to watch you point and tell people where to go and do, and do the commissioning side of it. So. I, think, I think they want me to use my left hand to put the robes on the ring girls or something. Claire, don't listen to this bit. Claire, don't listen to this bit. It's fine. It's... <laughs> <laughs> my, 
like a fluffer. Leon's going to be the fluffer right. at the UFC. Yeah. My, my, my wife knows I've got a face that only a mother and a wife could love, and that's that's <laughs> fact, mate. She ain't got nothing to worry about. I've pulled off to the watch, not it? <laughs> but mate, th- look for for the last two hours, Leon, and this is for a man like yourself who doesn't like doing this thing. Doing, doing this sort of thing, who doesn't do media. I, I'm not a media personality. This is this is something out of love that I do this podcast for. And we spoke for two hours about the life and times, and you've gone into some stuff that I never thought you'd go into, mate. Not because I wouldn't want you to, but because knowing the sort of person you are, I didn't think you would have. But this has been an amazing experience for me. I feel like if, if it wasn't for the fact that you were our 90 minutes up the road and it's and it's quarter past 10 on a on a on a Wednesday night I'd probably drive up and give you a big cuddle just to say mate thank you very much but <laughs> but you're in London in a couple of weeks and yeah. so I, I might have to I might have to come and find you just before I go to uh before I go to fight star so uh but well, Leon is, is there anybody one, one time only one yeah. time only this is my book. <laughs> one time only <laughs> so is there anybody, we're not going to plug your socials because you're not a social media sort of guy. Nope. Um, nope. But is there anybody, is there anybody that you'd like to, if, if you could sign it off with a few thanks to anybody, is there anybody in particular that you want to thank for, for the last 30 years-ish of, of being wow. in mixed martial arts and to the next 20 years, Leon? It's not going to finish now. You've got another 20 years left with us. So, Do you know what? When, when you end up thanking people, you, you, always, you always forget someone, don't you? Yeah. It's like you need to write a list. It's like those people who do the Oscars, they have a pre-written out thing. It's, you know, I've got, I've got to say, the first person I've got to thank is my wife. Yeah. Because everything I've done, she's been my rock. I've put her through the absolute mill for the past 20-odd years. And not once has she taken a backward or sideward step. She supported me, actively pushed me and promoted me in everything I've done. So she's the first person i got to thank. You know, Mark Weir, First person I train with, my new coach, Professor Ali Mason. I say new coach. I've done BJJ with him for the past what oof, ten years, I think it is something like that. I never put a gi on before then. So yeah. you know, everybody at the Range Academy, all the boys that I've trained with for the past thirty years, and new recruits. You know, the UFC, Dave Lewis, Mark Ratner, those two guys are absolute legends. I'm indebted to them wholeheartedly. Um. People I've refereed with over the years, you know, that don't do it anymore. The likes of Mark Woodard, you know, I cut my teeth with him. I cut my teeth with Grant Waterman on Cage Rage back in the day. Yeah. Those guys helped shape me in, in, in becoming a referee. You know, every single person I've met or worked with, I've made the most fantastic friends you know, all over the world, you know. And then <clears throat> I guess, I guess there's the man that refers to me affectionately as a big fuck. I mean, he's, yeah. he's you know, you won't be, he'll be calling me the medium fuck now. In fact, yeah. I don't like swearing on podcasts. And here I am swearing, but I'm only yeah. swearing because of him. You know, he, he's, like I said to you before, I've had the privilege of getting to know him in a way that perhaps a lot of people don't. And I think I, I, I'm humbled by that because I think he trusts me and respects me enough to allow me to see that side of him. Yeah. People see that, uh, a guy that's passion verges on aggressiveness because he's yeah. got to have things right because he cares. You know, I get to see, I get to see the friend, the dad, the husband, the son, I get to see him other facets and maybe I'm privileged to see that because he's letting his guard down with me where he doesn't let the people, but 
he's he he supported me many a time. Yeah, and, and don't die straight. So yeah, for him and everyone else, everyone else that I've contact with, Michael, you know, the the support, you know, the, the kind things that you said to me. You know, I, I'm feel myself getting hot and sweaty when you were saying those things because it's it's kind of, you know. It's, it's lovely. It's lovely to hear. It's just, it's just it makes you feel uncomfortable, I guess. And at least, you know at what? least my words are prettier than my face. So we've got something in common. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I have to say that this was so different to what I expected. I thought you'd be saying, you know, who's your favourite fighters? What's your favourite fights? I, I really didn't know how this was going. That's what I was thinking. And do you know what? Every single person I've had the privilege of refereeing over the years. Every single person I've had the privilege, I thank them because they've been part of my journey, you know, and, and I've made some some wonderful memories through sharing, you know, the octagon or the cage or the fenced arena, whatever politically correct word you want to use. They've shaped who I am because I've had the privilege of, of being in there with them. So, you know, I thank all of them too. Some of them yeah. will probably hate me because of decisions I've made. Some of them are probably talk shit about me. Some of them might be grateful, but ultimately, whatever you say, you've been part of my journey. So I thank, I thank you for that. Yeah. Well, Leon, thank you very much for your time tonight. Um, guys, if, if you're ever, if you ever see Leon, maybe don't go and give him a big cuddle because he's, he's uh, depends if his arm is fixed or not by that point, but, but just be aware <laughs> that this guy has, has given his heart and soul for MMA. So um, Leon, we thank you very much, my brother. And, um, and we'll see you. We'll see you shortly at an MMA event somewhere across the UK or beyond. Well, boys and girls, just well. If Leon's story does not motivate you to keep moving forward, no matter what life throws at you, I don't know what will. Leon, I know you won't be listening to this, but I have to say, she is still watching you, mate, and she is prouder than ever. I'll leave you with what is now the most iconic motivational sentence ever spoken in the world of MMA. Get it together, you big fuck. Let it flow. <laughs>